Good morning, everyone. I'm Sandy Knutson, member of the volunteer preaching team here at River Heights. Super glad that each of you is here, whether you're in the room in person or joining us online. Glad you're here. We are one week into a summer sermon series looking at the miracles of Jesus. We are going to fill this summer with good stories. Pete kicked us off last week talking about the very first miracle Jesus did, turning water into wine, and how that illustrates how God wants us to celebrate and be full of joy. Our theme verse for this new series is from John 20, 30-31. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. We're looking at the miraculous signs that Jesus did to boost our trust in Jesus, the Son of God, and to receive life. Even though we're farther removed from these signs than those first disciples, they can have that impact for us too, and that is our hope in this series. I'll point out that in this series, we are not covering the miracles in chronological order. So if you've never read through one of the Gospels from start to end, that might be a great idea this summer to help put the miracle stories in context. This morning, I'm going to take us to a story found only in the Gospel of Mark, but before we dig in, I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you that you are here among us, and thank you that we get to come together. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear you. Help us to be receptive to what you have for us this morning, and help us to be able to set aside the cares of the week and really focus on, in on you. We want to hear you, God, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's miracle story is from Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22. But let me set the stage for you a little bit. This story comes partway through Jesus' ministry years. Chapter 8 started out with Jesus multiplying food for 4,000 people. Jesus was getting a reputation already at this point in his life. People know he does miracles. Yet, this story is before when Jesus starts talking to the disciples about his death. This miracle is before the transfiguration, too, the moment when Jesus was visibly glorified and God spoke. So people had gotten some glimpses into who Jesus was yet, but they hadn't gotten the full picture of Jesus as God and Savior of the world yet. The people in the town where this story was set, named Bethsaida, had several chances to see Jesus in action when he visited various times. The Gospel of John tells us this was the hometown of Andrew, Philip, and Peter. It was a fishing town near the Sea of Galilee, likely in the area we now call Golan Heights. So hopefully that helps you place the story. And now let's go to the story itself. It'll be on the screen behind me if you want to read along. So when they, Jesus and the disciples, arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes... He laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. I have questions about this story. Like with many of the stories in the Bible, I don't get all the details that I want. People had heard Jesus was a healer. 
they brought him a blind man. We know absolutely nothing else about this man, not even his name or whether he'd been blind his whole life. But this mystery man is brought to Jesus. Imagine someone grabbing his arm and tugging him over the sand, pulling him around the bushes and donkey dung. When the man does make it to Jesus, like at many other times, Jesus steps away from the crowds and all the hubbub with this man to give him his full attention. Jesus didn't seem interested in putting on a performance, but in talking to the man he's going to heal. The way Jesus goes about this healing is frankly weird. Jesus spat on the mystery man. Gross. Fun fact for the day, though. This is actually one of three times Jesus uses spit while healing people. You can look up the other two later for your extra credit. And after spitting, Jesus touches the man, which is more normal. But the next event isn't what we'd expect either. The man isn't completely healed right away. Suddenly light is hitting his eyes and there's shapes for the first time in who knows how many years. I bet that first sunlight felt amazing, even if it might have been shockingly bright. The man can start to see, but not clearly. He guesses at the blurry shapes he sees. People look like trees walking. Personally, I've always wondered how he knew what trees looked like, unless he became later in, blind later in life. But regardless, he can't see well yet. Medical science offers one possible explanation for his unclear sight. Wikipedia has a whole article entitled Recovery from Blindness. Bet you didn't know there was an article about that, did you? <laughs> that article will tell you that patients who experience dr dramatic recovery from blindness experience significant to total agnosia, having serious confusion with their visual perception. In plain English, that means that when someone's eyes suddenly start working, the person's brain may not be able to interpret the input. The person can see, but they can't necessarily understand distances, facial expressions, or colors they've never seen before. Maybe that's what was going on for this man. His eyes were working biologically, but his brain couldn't understand what he was seeing yet. But Jesus touches the man again, with hands calloused from working with carpenter's tools for decades, and the man is able to see and understand what he sees. He is completely restored, a wonderful phrase. And Jesus still doesn't seem to want publicity, so he sends the man home. And that's all the Gospel of Mark tells us. But there's a lot in this short story, and I'd like us to imagine ourselves in this story in two different roles to unpack some ways we can learn from this miracle and respond to it. So first, I want us to imagine ourselves as the blind man. Your eyes probably work decently, so this might feel like a bit of a stretch, but have you ever felt like you couldn't see how God was working? Perhaps there's a difficult situation in your life where you just cannot picture what God might be doing. Or there's a Bible passage that you can't make heads or tails out of no matter how many times you read it. Or maybe you have some vague idea of how God might be working or speaking, but it's about as clear as trees walking about. If I became blind like this man, I imagine I would feel helpless, confused, afraid, and trapped. And I felt like that spiritually at times. I wonder if you have too. There's good news for that. Jesus will not leave you there. God is a revealer who wants to help us understand. One time Jesus told his followers, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. But now you, you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. We are friends 
in whom Christ will confide. He doesn't want to leave us out. A little while later, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. We're not alone in the dark, but we have the spirit of truth to guide us. When Jesus compared himself to the good shepherd, he said he would go before his sheep to take them to good pastures, and his sheep would follow him because they know his voice. We can recognize God speaking to us even in the dark. We can take some practice to discern what is God leading and what is not God, but God will help us to know his voice. Think about what Paul told the Corinthian believers. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So even if we don't see the whole picture at this moment, God intends for us to see clearly and know completely. It's a relief. God will help us to see, just like Jesus opened the eyes of this blind man. There's several other Bible stories that illustrate this kind of spiritual eye-opening, too. Joseph needed a dream to understand it was God's plan. He'd bring Mary home and raise baby Jesus, even when Joseph knew it wasn't his kid. Less well-known, in 2 Kings 6, when the Aramean army had a city surrounded, a young man came in a panic to Elisha, and Elisha prayed for his eyes to be opened so he could see chariots and horses of fire from God that were around them. Or there's Jacob's ladder when Jacob laid down to bed but then saw angels going up and coming down. Many of our spiritual ancestors needed their eyes open to see what God was doing, and God opened their eyes. Sometimes God does this directly, reveals things to us through the Holy Spirit. Other times God might bring along a friend, a book, or a tool that helps you see better what God is up to. The God stories on our connection cards are another way to help us see how God is working and celebrate that together. So I ask you, today, do you want your spiritual eyes opened? If so, I invite you to hold out your hands in a posture of openness to receive, and I'm going to pray for us now. Spirit of truth, we ask for your help to understand. Guide us and help us to see how you're at work and how we can participate in this world. Help us to recognize your voice. Thank you for calling us friends and choosing to speak to us. We know we will someday see completely and with all clarity. Help us to understand more and more now. Amen. And you're also invited to come up for prayer ministry later if there's a specific way you're struggling with this. Now, for the second part of this sermon, I want you to switch characters and instead imagine yourself as the one praying for someone to be healed. You don't have to imagine you're Jesus, but at least imagine yourself as a person who's been brought someone who is completely blind. And I might feel intimidated or be a little reluctant to pray in that situation. So I find this story very encouraging. Jesus, who is fully God and was perfect, Jesus had someone who didn't get completely healed the first time he prayed for them. This healing was messy, and it took more than one try. 
maybe you've avoided praying for people to be healed because you aren't sure how to. But it doesn't seem like Jesus had a precise formula. I'm not sure if there's any one thing that Jesus did every single time he healed someone. Justin talked about this in his sermon two weeks back. So in this case, Jesus used spit. One commentator, Adam Clark, suggested the spit was to lubricate the man's eyelids so they could open. Jesus might have had some practical reason like that to use spit, but we're only guessing. Other times, Jesus laid his hands on people but didn't use spit. I'd much prefer that option. And other times, Jesus only said a word without any contact. So we have general good practices in praying for healing, like pray short, direct prayers, ask someone before laying on hands, things like that. But there's no one perfectly correct way to pray. And if we never try praying for healing at all, it's really, really unlikely we ever see anyone miraculously healed. Maybe someone won't get healed the first time you pray. Take heart. This man wasn't healed the first time Jesus prayed either. And God's really patient with us when we hesitate. I remember when I was a student in the School of Kingdom Ministry. The School of Kingdom Ministry, SOCOM for short, is a program we run periodically here at River Heights. and helps people grow in understanding their identity in Christ and how to minister with the power of the Holy Spirit. If you might want to be part of SOCOM this year, you could jot that on your connection card. We'd love to give, get you more info. SOCOM includes lots of practice and growth opportunities. So when I was first taking SOCOM a few years back, one of the assignments for practice was to go offer to pray for a stranger, someone outside of church. And shall we say that was a little bit outside my comfort zone? Fortunately, my desire to follow the rules combined with my desire to actually grow in this stuff, and that went out, so I decided, try and find an opportunity. I rode the city bus daily and had often seen a man who limped on my bus, so I decided I could offer to pray for him. I braved myself up one morning, then he got on the bus, I chickened out. I didn't want to ask while he and I were trapped on a bus in case it didn't go well. But I assured myself I'd find an opportunity and offer to pray for him. And I, I did get a second chance later, I think when we got off the bus, I totally chickened out again. By this point, I was starting to be hard on myself. Twice, I had the opportunity to show someone love by offering to pray for them, and I wouldn't even do that. I had no reason to think I'd have a better chance later. I only saw this man on the bus and never talked to him before. But still, I asked God for an opportunity to talk to this man and offer to pray for him, ideally one where we weren't trapped on a bus. This man normally got on the bus at a different station than me, but that afternoon, he was waiting at my bus station. The bus wasn't in sight yet, and here was my golden opportunity. So that time, I took it. The man seemed to appreciate that I offered to pray for him, but I just couldn't get over how God seemed to set up that special opportunity for me, even after I'd screwed up twice. God wasn't bothered by my lack of courage or my failures. God kept loving me and offering me opportunities. So if you've been afraid to pray for people to get healed, I encourage you to try. God is patient with you, even if you don't get it right the first time. In this room, we also have people who are veterans in prayer. Sometimes, after we pray for many healing, healing many times, discouragement starts to creep in. 
We start to say, I've tried this, but people don't get healed. Or maybe someone says their pain level goes down a little, but why won't the pain go away? Seeing prayers for healing go unanswered can be really frustrating, and even more so if the person you're praying for is someone you love. Maybe you're about ready to throw in the towel and just give up on this stuff. And if that's how you feel, there's something in this story for you too. This story is mysterious. There's details in it I don't understand yet. I don't know why this particular time it took two prayers before the man was healed. This isn't the one and only story in the Bible where a miracle didn't work the first time. I'll briefly take you to a story way back in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4. I mentioned Elisha earlier. Elisha was a prophet, a man of God, and he was famous for working miracles. Once when he prayed, a metal axe head floated on the water. So this Elisha was friends with a woman who had one beloved son, and her son died. The woman hurried to Elisha for help. Elisha sent his trainee companion, Gehazi, to run ahead and pray for the boy, but the boy was still dead. So Elisha went to the boy, and he prayed for him once. Then a second time he prayed for him, and only then did the boy come back to life. Why did it take three prayers? No clue. But if I want to see people restored and healed, I'd hate to miss a miracle because I stop after a prayer isn't answered the first time. If I want to see miracles in my life or the lives of others, and I do, it means I need the courage to keep on asking. Sometimes God gives what I ask for right away, and sometimes I don't see my prayer answered instantly. And when that happens, I don't need to assume that I'm no good at praying or did something wrong. If you've been around River Heights for a while, you might have heard us talk about the already and not yet of the kingdom of God. That's part of this mystery. As a refresher on what the phrase means, we know that Jesus already won the victory, defeated every power of evil when he was raised from the dead. We have already been given power and authority to pray and see miracles happen. God's reign breaks through. But there's also the not yet. We do not yet live in the age when everything that happens is good and beautiful, like God wants, or when we see God's will done on earth exactly as it is in heaven. We wait in hope for the day when everyone is healed, when there's no more pain and no more tears. And in this in-between time, the already and the not yet, not everyone gets healed now. We don't have a tidy formula to explain who gets healed when. I've mostly been talking to people who are praying for someone, but I'll take a slight detour to point out that the same concepts apply to asking for prayer. Being in pain or suffering chronically is so hard, and that doesn't mean that you did something wrong. It can be hard to even get your hopes up and ask for healing, and I get that too. Paul wrote in Romans 8 about creation groaning while we wait in hope of the future glory to be revealed to us. Sometimes our prayers are groaning, and that is okay. God hears every groan, and the Holy Spirit intercedes beside us. We may not see glory revealed fully in this life, but we might get a glimpse of that glory with the healing if we keep asking and praying. Perseverance in prayer takes courage and struggle, but it's not impossible with God's help. 
When we pray for healing, not everyone will be healed instantly the first time we pray. Even Jesus prayed twice. So if you feel discouraged by the time healing hasn't come, I encourage you to keep praying. Ask for God's strength and help and keep on keeping on in prayer. So if someone is in need of healing with God's help, can you be willing to pray and pray again? I want to pray for us. And again, if what I said in this section sounds like you, I just invite you to hold out your hands to receive. Holy Spirit, we need you to help us even in our prayers. Drive away fears and discouragement. Jesus died that we could come boldly before God with our requests. And we want to pray with that boldness. Help us to pray boldly. Help us to encourage each other by sharing the stories when we do see your, our prayers answered right away. We thank you and praise you that you are patient with us, that you answer our prayers, and that you are here to help us along this journey. In Jesus' name, amen. So each of us might be in a similar situation to both characters at different times in our lives. Sometimes we feel blind, but this story reminds us that Jesus will help us to see. Other times, we might be the one challenged to pray for healing, and this story is an encouragement that it's okay if we don't get it right the first time or if healing doesn't come right away. Keep on praying. So like normal, I have three tips for you. Something to read, something to pray, and something to do. Before I share those tips, I invite the worship team back up, and I'm asking prayer team members to come forward, be ready to pray. And I invite all of you to stand if you're able while I share those tips. So read, reread this story from Mark 8, 22 to 26 later in the week. Sit with it a while. Pay attention to what stands out as you read it. Imagine yourself in the story and listen for how God might speak to you. Pray. Pray for spiritual sight and for courage and willingness to pray for others. Whichever of the prayers resonated with you from this sermon, keep praying it. Do. I'll challenge you to pray with someone. It could be for physical healing or it could be for something else. But try to find an opportunity to pray with a person for their need. Give it a try, whether it's your first time or your thousandth time praying with someone. At this point, we're going to transition to worship and prayer, the most important parts of our service. So if something from this message touched you and you want someone to pray with you, please come and receive prayer. If you want God to open your eyes or if you're struggling to start to pray or keep praying, come and let someone else join you in praying for God's help. Or you can come up to receive prayer for anything else. The worship team has a few songs for us. You can worship, also have time to give prayer. And they'll let us know when it's time for communion and dismiss us at the end of the service.